Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag. So for that, of course, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Austin. He says, any rumblings on Vinnie Curry or any other edge help or has that ship sailed? I think that Vinnie Curry could still be in play just because he's got a connection to Douglas and he's still out there. Depending on the price, maybe. I haven't heard anything new. I know that talks had cooled a while ago, but he still isn't signed anywhere. So maybe Douglas swoops in here and gets him on a cheap one-year deal. They could certainly still use him, even though they got Zuniga. You don't know what you're getting out of him. And other than Jordan Jenkins, you don't really have anybody established on the edge. Not that Jenkins is anything amazing, but he's the only established edge player that they have so they could certainly use him I wouldn't rule it out I haven't heard anything new but I wouldn't be surprised to hear something sometime soon yeah I haven't heard anything specifically on him but I have checked in you know are there still possible moves coming and that they are there are still possible moves coming they're still weighing different things in the roster he's somebody that would make a lot of sense for that reason um, you know, it'll come down to price, obviously. Uh, one of the, like, they're not thinking, I can't imagine they're thinking of uh, Yannick Ngakwe type of moves, but somebody at a reasonable price, somebody like Vinnie Curry, I can see it happening. They are going to continue looking to uh, upgrading this roster that before this season starts, so that is a place that would make sense. Um, I just don't have anything specific on him one way or another. But like you said, they they need help at that spot. He is a player that can help at that spot, and I don't think it would cost um, too much money. Next question comes in from Sofa King Weighs Dead. He says, why does New York sports media conduct themselves more like gossip girls than respectful journalists? Players across the NFL not participating in voluntary workouts. No one bats an eye. But Jamal Adams says he won't attend, and the drama queens come out in full force with skies falling speculation. 
Feel as though I can make a Namath guarantee. This question doesn't even get addressed on the podcast, let alone answered. But the Jets deserve better and actual beat writers rather than TMZ rejects. Well, I hope you didn't make a bet on that, dude, because we're addressing it and we're answering it. So, sorry, I hate to disappoint you. Honestly, I understand the criticism in the general sense that a lot of times people try to make stories out of something that's not really a story. But in this case, unless I missed something, Chris, I didn't really see any of the beat writers jumping on this as any kind of big deal. I thought this was more fans on Twitter that were upset in reading into this. The beat seemed to be kind of measured on this as though it was no big deal. And I think they all sort of recognized that Douglas was going to sit down with Adams or at least attempt to after the draft and try and work something out. You tell me, because you're on the beat, you would know better than I would, but I didn't see anything from any of the major reporters, unless I missed it, that was some sort of dramatic overreaction to Adams not participating in this voluntary program. I didn't see it either. I wasn't uh, particularly keeping close tracks track on what all the, the other beat writers were saying, but what I saw fans reacting, and I saw Cowboys beat writers reacting. And the Cowboys beat writers re- re- were reacting for obvious reasons. That's the, the team that has been connected to Jamal Adams' trade rumors the most. They're trying to generate their clicks uh, leading up to the draft. But, yeah, that, I, I, I don't get that the framing of the question there because obviously you addressed it. But also, I mean, I'm the beat writer on this podcast, and you can go ahead and check Twitter on the day that this was all announced and, and see what I said about it because I came out and was like, yeah, Nope, this is uh, nothing for anybody to be worried about. I tweeted out a calm down gif when I saw everybody freaking out. I, you know, with Jamal, Jamal skipping virtual workouts means nothing to me. If Jamal skipped a real live in person workout, that means something to me because I don't think he would do that even if he wants, is like considering holding out. Jamal wants to be around football at all times. His virtual workouts are not football. So him skipping that means nothing to me. And I said that the very day that this, the news dropped about him doing that. I was very uh, uh, vocal about that, very upfront about that. So I get plenty of com- – I understand most complaints about uh, the beat. Um, I definitely don't get directing that complaint this way um, because, like I said, I was very vocal about that and saying that this is silly and nonsense. But it was the fans that I saw freaking out more than the beat writers doing it. And also, you do have to understand, A, about the beat writers, shoot, for me to shoot them a little bail here, A, they have bosses. Like, I, I have a distinct advantage here over them in this area because I'm my boss. I'm the one in control that decides what uh, gets you know, published or my opinion. I don't have anybody telling me, hey, they have an editor that's like, hey, this Jamal news, we got to make something out of it and try to get generate clicks out of it. I'm not doing that, but other people do. So a lot of times beat writers have to write stuff that they don't necessarily want to write or even think that or believe in what they're writing. Um, so you have to take all of that into consideration. This, I didn't write about that story because it, to me, and when I write about a story that legitimizes it. So I pur- purposely 
didn't write a story about the Jamal skipping the virtual workouts. Because even if I write a story saying, this is no big deal, don't bother, don't pay attention to it, by me actually writing that, it gives it a little bit of weight, I feel like. So I completely ignored it. Other beat writers don't have that luxury. And even if they want to, their editor's going to say, no, you got to get something else up there on that. Um, so a, a lot of complaints about the beat is really just not understanding how media and report and everything works around that. Um, I get plenty of complaints about the beat, especially the Jets beat and New York beat. Um, I get it. But this this isn't an area where I feel that's a fair criticism at all. Chris, I completely agree with the criticism in the general sense sometimes. Although, as you said, a lot of times it's not because the writer himself wants to do it. It's because he's pressured into doing it by the editor and he needs to get clicks. But this particular story was a weird one to talk about because I didn't see that kind of hysteria from beat reporters. If anything, it was more from fans. And as you said, from Dallas Cowboy writers, a lot of speculation there. Next question comes in from AJ Tronzano. He says, I think overall the Jets had a good draft. Although much like you guys both said, would have been nice to get another wide receiver. Besides Curtis Samuel, any other veteran receivers that you think could be June 1st cuts? Thanks. Hope you and your families are well. And that goes along with other questions that were asked. Danny at CC716 asked if there was any wide receiver you can make a trade for, who would it be? And also Westgate Photo asked about whether or not the Jets might try to trade for Sammy Watkins or Alshon Jeffrey. So let's talk about this. I could see Alshon Jeffrey as a possibility, but only if the Eagles were willing to do something to make the Jets be able to swallow that contract. So whether it's picking up a portion of the contract or including a draft pick that would be valuable to Joe Douglas, that's the only way I could see that happening. Not because I don't think they would want him. I do think that both Douglas and Gase like Jeffrey a lot. They both have really strong histories with him. I just think that the contract that he has right now would be impossible to take without Philly picking up part of it or without Philly adding a sweetener like a draft pick to get them to take the contract. But as far as who they could go for or who they should go for, you're going to hear some names, but the one that really does stick out is the one that was mentioned, Curtis Samuel, because he's available, he's 23 years old, and I don't think that the price would be that crazy. What I had suggested on Twitter was that the Jets could package the Giants' fifth rounder that they got in the Leo deal and the sixth rounder that they got from the Patriots in that trade down the other night in the draft, put that together and trade it to Carolina for Samuel. May or may not be enough, but he's a young player who has some actual NFL production, some real upside, and he could come in here and be a nice player for the Jets. They could run some gadget plays with him as well. They need all the help they can get, all the youthful, productive weapons with upside that they can get their hands on. So that, to me, is the one guy who sticks out in my head as somebody that they could add realistically. Yeah, I'll start with Alshon Jeffrey, and I agree with everything you said there. I, if the Eagles go ahead and cut him, then yes, I think that the Jets would uh, sign him up right away. Uh, but in order for them to trade for him, it would they'd have to either pay a bunch of the salary himself themselves, or give uh, the Jets a draft pick, uh, you know, in return, kind of. Just, uh, not as extreme as the Brock Osweiler trade to Cleveland, but something in that vein. 
Um, I, I am all on board with Curtis Samuel. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Curtis Samuel. I think he's a very good receiver, and I think he would help this team. And you get uh, Curtis Samuel and Denzel Mims on the outside. You get Jamison Crowder and uh, Herndon inside at uh, you know tight end slot. And then you have Perriman as well. And I like that receiving core a lot better than I liked it this time this uh, last week. Um, I've said this. I was as much as uh, – you know, we understand Robbie Anderson going to the Panthers because of the Matt Rule connection. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel uh, were I, – I forget the exact stat. I was talking to you about this before we started recording. I think they were two of the top ten guys in air yards last year. And Robbie Anderson, another deep threat. Both those guys are better than Robbie intermediate underneath stuff. But with Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback, I that having those three receivers – Stretching the field doesn't make the most sense to me. I can absolutely see them being willing to give up Curtis Samuel for something that's not that expensive. I would 100% do the deal that you pitched, but I'm going to be honest, I would be willing to go as high as a third-round pick next year if I needed to. I would obviously try to to uh, keep it as low as possible, but I would be willing to, to do that for Curtis Samuel right now. To have him on the team for this season, I would be willing to go that high to get him. As far as other players, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see how June 1st uh, cuts uh, play out or how training camp put, cuts tray out. But I don't know, maybe somebody like the Bengals you could see. Um, maybe like an Auden Tate. Uh, I don't think they're going to be – looking to get rid of A.J. Green with Joe Burrow there and with T. Higgins there. I think that A.J. Green, um, as the veteran leader on that team, holds a lot of value, No matter, regardless of how much he can play. I think he holds a lot of value to them to keep him this year. But getting T. Higgins, uh, they, they have some depth at receiver now. Maybe somebody like Alden Tate would become available. Uh, I'd prefer Curtis Samuda there. So that's where you have to look is teams that, you know, uh, I mean, the Broncos obviously drafted a lot of rookies. They're not trading away Cortland Sutton Sutton or uh, either of the guys they got. So that's where you'd have to look is teams that have an abundance of uh, wide receivers right now and have a really quality player that might not be able to crack the lineup. But I'm not sure where where that is right now. I, I think you can get Curtis Samuel – and maybe like an Alden Tate would slip through. Um, I'll take a look more, uh, but that, those would be the, the top two names that come to mind right now for me. Next question comes in from Andy Craig. He says, are you guys fans of the virtual draft? Do you think they will look to combine elements of both versions in Cleveland in 2021? I thought the virtual draft was fine for what it was given the circumstances, but obviously having the crowd there and all of the festivities is A, more appealing to the viewer, and B, certainly more appealing to the league. I do think that there were some elements that we saw that could get incorporated. The whole screen of multiple fans at the same time later in the draft reacting to a certain pick, I think is something that they might use going forward. But I do think that as soon as they can, they're going to go back to the live draft with actual fans in attendance. Although, as I said, I was very pleasantly surprised with how this one went off. They did a really good job given the circumstances. Credit to everybody all around for pulling that off. Yeah, I loved it. 
I absolutely love the way that the draft went this year, and I would be in favor of it being like that every year, no matter what happens. But the NFL is not going to do that. The best case scenario I could think of something along those lines is you would do at least the first round, maybe even the first three rounds in a live uh, event situation, and then maybe they switch to the virtual for rounds four through seven. Um, maybe something like that. But it's still, the NFL, we know what the NFL is about. The NFL likes to be about spectacle. They like to the, – you see this especially once they started moving it away from New York and they want to have this traveling – band go from city to city year after year they want to take over the city they want to they want to do all that stuff so i can't possibly imagine them uh going away from from it altogether but it's definitely something that i would like i just i i enjoyed it i enjoyed everything about it um and and i think that they should look to incorporate some of that stuff but I think once we get back to normal, however long that is, uh, the NFL is going to go right back to be, trying to be as big of a spectacle as possible because that's what the NFL does. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from James Kuntz, our guy over at TurnOnTheJets.com, who did really good interviews with Coach Ledford and Coach Serignano from Louisville talking about Makai Becton on the Turn on the Jets podcast recently. He said, do you want the Jets to add more offensive talent before the season? If so, who would you add? And do you think that they're going to try to do this? Yeah, I'm sure they will. It's going to depend on who shakes free after the cuts come. I'm sure there will be some guys that they'll throw in there here and there. And then obviously we talked about Curtis Samuel. So that's a possibility depending on the asking price. I don't think I'd go as high as Chris said that he would. I might be able to be talked into a fourth round pick, but that's probably as high as I would go. But that's realistically what you're looking at. I think somebody like him or somebody who ends up getting cut after June 1st or whatever they end up designating that date, because I'm not sure if they're going to change some things based on what's going on right now. Yeah, again, the the top two names I'll throw at you are Curtis Samuel and Auden Tate. Um, I have no idea of what the Bengals are doing there. That's just me looking through rosters and seeing, hey, maybe this is a a player that can be available now. But the, you know, it's possible that the Bengals are saying, no, we won't take him, uh, we'll trade him, or get rid of him no matter what. Um, and Curtis Samuel, we know there is some talk about him being made available. Um, if you so, if you're looking for names, those are the two guys that I'm gonna uh, look for. But absolutely, I, I, the Jets need to address more. Uh, they could still upgrade the offensive line. Obviously, I don't know that there's gonna be anything that becomes available to make a substantive, a substantive upgrade on that line. But if somebody does become available, then yes, they will absolutely do that. And. Of course, same with receiver. I, I think that they will be looking to try to do that. I think they'll be looking to try to find players uh, on the defensive side of the ball, too, if they can. Um, you know, there's regular first wave of free agency, that second wave of free agency draft. That's where fans focus their attention. But that doesn't mean that Joe Douglas is just like, all right, draft's over now. This is our, our roster set, and we're not going to touch it. He's going to keep looking for tweaks to the roster. Uh, it's just especially at this point in time, it's hard for me to know uh, what type of names are a possibility there. But, uh, yeah, I think he's going to keep his eye out on offensive line and receivers specifically and still look to bring people in there. He knows that, that they're far from set. So if he s- identifies somebody that's available that can help them, he will absolutely do it. Next question comes in from another one of our guys at TOJ, Michael Megan. He says, do you think Cager and Campbell have a shot to make the 53-man roster at wide receiver with how light the room is? If Davis takes over some return duties, do you feel like they might consider getting rid of Berrios and or Smith? Feels like Perriman, Crowder, and Mims are the only locks barring a trade or free agent signing. 
I don't think that Davis is going to return punts. If he returns kicks, that might put Vincent Smith in jeopardy, but I don't think it's going to do much to Braxton Berrios. I think they like Berrios, and I also think that he did a really good job returning punts last year. He was one of the better ones in the league. I know they didn't have a ton of huge punt returns, but he was very good with keeping the ball secure for the most part and did have some pretty good returns overall. So I think that he's probably here. Smith, they seem to like his upside. There's nothing guaranteed, but I think there's a solid chance he sticks around. As far as Major and Campbell, yeah, I absolutely think that they have a chance. Like you said, it's not like this is a very strong wide receiver group. I know that Connor really likes Campbell a lot more than Cager. He thinks that Cager has much less upside than Campbell. He thinks that Cager's just basically a big possession receiver with not a lot beyond that. And that Campbell, somebody who had, I think, something like 25 yards per catch at West Virginia. So I do think that both of those guys have a chance. But you've got to temper your expectations. They are undrafted free agents. We do know that there have been plenty of guys that have come in here and made the roster and done well. I've cited plenty of examples, but most recently you would look at somebody like Robbie Anderson and Kyle Phillips last year. And then you go back to Snacks, Mike DeVito, players like that. But... Anytime somebody comes in as an undrafted free agent, they very much have an uphill battle because they're competing against established veterans and guys that the team invested draft capital in. So I think they have a chance, but the people that say that there's a great chance that one or both of these guys are going to stick are probably going a little overboard. They're going way overboard, and it's I'd be saying they're going overboard in the regular offseason. And this offseason is way overboard because we, we have no idea what mini camps, training camps, what they'll be able to do. Obviously, they're going to have a season. They will have some type of uh, training camp situation. But is it going to be shortened? Uh, at that point, these undrafted guys are going to have a much tougher chance to make rosters and prove themselves. We are, we'll probably get a shortened preseason uh, of some sort. So they won't have as many opportunities there. Um, the op- they're going to be limited in their opportunities to impress and make the roster. Even think back to when Robbie Anderson was an undrafted free agent and making it. The first half of training camp, it, it was like, okay, I, I see this guy's super fast. Uh, but, you know, still I was like Jalen Marshall's looking much better than him. There's a bunch of other people here. I he's he's really fast, but I don't know what else he's got. The last couple, week of training camp and preseason, it was like, oh wow, okay, they might they have something here with this Robbie Anderson guy. That these guys might not get that many opportunities here. They of course have a chance because anytime you have, oh, uh, you're talking about a player uh, at a position that is not set. Uh, where you don't have a, a bunch of talent there. Like, you know, an inside defensive line guy is going to is gonna have a really hard shot at making this roster right now. Um, and, and like, that's a, an extra safety is probably going to have a really hard time making this roster this year. But a wide receiver, if, if they can show what uh, enough in a limited time, then they're going to have a shot. But, again, their opportunities are going to be limited. As far as, uh, you know, freeing up roster space because of someone like Ashton Davis can maybe do some return duties, a lot of that is going to also depend on um, Ashton, da- Ashton Davis's role in the defense to start. Um, you know, 
how much of the defensive playbook can he pick up? How much do they envision him playing right away? Um, I, I definitely do think that they can do some three safety packages. Um, but if they if they haven't do a lot of playing time on defense, which probably won't be the case as long as Marcus May is healthy, then they might not be willing to even have him uh, do any returning duties. But I, I it's certainly possible that it could free up uh, you know at least one roster spot. But that's that's a wait and see type of thing. Obviously, he ha- does have the ability and potential to do that there. So. You know, that's one of those things Joe Douglas will love, gives him roster flexibility. But I'm with you. I don't I don't think that uh, that's going to, like, jeopardize Braxton Berrios or anything along those lines. But, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see again because if, if he has a, a large enough role on defense, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't want him returning at all. Next question comes in from Take Flight Jets. He says, even though Bryce Hall hasn't played yet, do you see him starting week one? I know it's tough to say, but watching Hall, it looks like he's better than Bless in Austin and was a better prospect coming out of college. There are a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. For instance, what is the status of Bryce Hall's ankle injury? What is going to happen in terms of the offseason? Is he going to get a fair chance to compete? That said, here's what I will tell you. Bryce Hall is a fighter. He is going to come in here and he is going to give these other cornerbacks the fight of their lives. I think Pierre Desir, barring something unforeseen, is probably locked in at one of the corner spots. Poole is going to be in the slot. The other corner spot, I think, is very much up for grabs. A lot of people seem to be handing it to Blessing Austin, and I wouldn't be doing that. Blessing Austin only played six games, and remember, he ended up getting benched in that Pittsburgh game, so we don't know exactly what Greg Williams thinks of him. But you've got Austin, you've got Millette, Quincy Wilson has just come in here, and now you've got Bryce Hall on top of the guy that I think is the longest shot to win the job, but is still in the mix, Nate Hairston. So I think Bryce Hall comes in here and he's going to fight tooth and nail for that spot. If he's healthy, I would not be surprised at all if he wins it, if he has a fair chance, depending on what the offseason looks like. Because I don't think any of those guys have proven much of anything as a starter in the NFL. Like we said, Austin looked good for a couple of games, then got benched. You also have Millette, who looked good for a couple of games, but he's really more of a journeyman. Quincy Wilson is somebody that had high hopes when he was picked in 2017 in the second round. Didn't really work out with the Colts. Nate Hairston also had some moments with the Colts and then came in and had a game or two where he played pretty well for the Jets, but then he fell out of favor. So there are a lot of maybes here. The good thing about the defensive back room, specifically cornerbacks now, is that last year you had a lot of ugh. This year you have a lot of eh, maybe, and that's a big improvement. So I think that Hall absolutely will have a chance to win the job if he's healthy and if there's some sort of offseason where he has a real chance to compete. That's really all I can tell you right now without having that information in front of me. But if those things work out in his favor, I absolutely think he has a chance to win the job, and I can tell you for a fact that he is going to give those cornerbacks a huge battle regardless of who ends up coming out on top as that second cornerback remember they have the jets doctors haven't been able to look at him yet so we don't know that he will be healthy by the start of uh the season um and obviously we don't know maybe he could get healthy get hurt again who knows uh well i'll say about um 
you know, talking about him as a prospect compared to Bless Austin as a prospect. All I can really say about that is Hall has more and better tape in college than mm-hmm. Bless Austin did because Bless Austin's big problem was he couldn't get on the field in college either. Um, so if you're just evaluating them as college prospects, there really wasn't a lot. There was such little tape of Bless Austin. And the tape we do have of uh, Hall it is really good. So you give him the edge there, of course, but it's also not completely fair to Bless Austin because it's not anywhere. He didn't have the chance to put up the same tape. Um, your comment about looking at the guys they had last year and then this year and how it was just like, ugh, first, oh, okay. There's some things that could work that I agree with that, but I will also add that these this guys this year are more Greg Williams type of guys. Greg Williams uh, is what he's looking for. So that could bump that up even more. That could maybe give you even more confidence. Last year it was it got he got here and they weren't able to add enough more now. Um, he's able to uh, been able to uh, you know voice what he wants and uh, have someone willing to listen to him and get his type of guys here. So this is going to be by far the most fun position to watch in any type of preseason training camp battles, because there's like five, like you said, you rattled off the names. There's like five guys who could end up starting and they could end up starting and having really good solid years. Uh, but all five of those guys, there's there's a bunch of them who I could see getting uh, – or some of them who I could see getting no playing time there. The only thing we know that's set for sure is Brian Poole is going to be the inside nickel guy. I agree that with you that Pierre Desir is going to have the, the, the inside track to get one of the outside spots. But even that's not us, uh, it, you know, cemented in stone. So – this is going to be the most fun position battle to watch. It could go in one of 26 different, uh, you know, combinations there, but they are undoubtedly in bet much better shape at this, that position than they were last year. And there's a lot more reason to be hopeful about this position uh, for going into this year. And then also it seems that they have, you know, a, a type, a thing they're looking for going forward. So with another year going into next season, I can see this CB group getting uh, just that much better. That's going to wrap up part two of the weekend mailbag. Don't forget to follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't given the show a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.